Well, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 16. We're in a series entitled The Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the eyes of the Apostle John, one of his disciples. And we come to John 16, and for the last handful of weeks, we have been in John 14, 15, and 16. And in this storyline, there are no miracles. In this storyline, there are no uh, cool messages being shared that would give lots of hope and encouragement. In fact, in these last moments that Jesus has with his disciples before his arrest and impending crucifixion, Jesus tells the disciples, his closest friends and associates, what life without Jesus was going to look like. And it is a scary proposition. Jesus would declare that after he would go, life without Jesus would be filled with hatred and opposition from the world. That without, uh, life without Jesus would be filled with persecution. He even broaches the subject that people will die for their faith. We see that in the lives of 11 of the apostles. We see that in the lives of uh, countless people throughout church history. And we even today see persecution going on in our world today. It wasn't too long ago that videos of ISIS would be shown where Christians would lose their lives for their standing up for Christ. And so the question is, amidst all of this bad news... Is Jesus trying a new marketing strategy of trying to attract people through the worst possible means that he would try to attract people by telling them that by following him, by being a disciple of Christ, life was going to be terrible? What Jesus was doing was telling them that to be a disciple of Jesus was to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Now, we say that, we sing that, But we don't always believe that because to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we think we want to follow him in victory, but not in suffering. Jesus says, life without me in the flesh is going to look like my life did amongst you. I am going to suffer for a little while so that I might be glorified. I am going to suffer for a little while so that others might be blessed so that the joy of being glorified will be all the more sweet. What Jesus is declaring to us today is in order for us to enjoy his victory, we have to be willing to endure suffering as he did. And, and by proxy, the disciples would experience it, and we by proxy there would experience it. That to have our name affixed to Jesus in any way creates the possibility for us to experience the same suffering of Christ. But why would someone do that? Why would someone endure such difficulty and hostility from the world? And the answer is found in John sixteen thirty three. We have been in a dark tunnel for the last handful of weeks, but now there's this light that is getting brighter as we draw closer to it. In John 16, Jesus kind of puts it all in a nutshell. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. It's a guarantee. Uh, The book of Job says that uh, a man is born to trials and tribulations as sparks of a fire fly upward. It's a reality. We're going to have difficulties. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. 
It hinges on three little letters, B-U-T, but I've long wanted to do a sermon series on that little word, but that little word is the hinge of what used to be and what will be. Let me give you a passage of scripture that works. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God in salvation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, you and I were by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of his immense love and mercy, he has made us children of love, of grace, of mercy. Here we have, in this world, you will have trouble. But... Take heart, seven words, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I don't want to beat you up by the very essence of that, and I don't want you to do it now. You missed your opportunity, and you should ask for forgiveness later. There should have been an eruption of applause. Think about that. In this world, we are going to have trouble and tribulation. Jesus just said, that we are going to be persecuted, that the world is going to hate us, that when they kill you, they'll think they're offering a gift to God, but Jesus says, I'm already victorious. And what we, there you go, okay, you're learning. You're still, you're still in trouble for the first miss, but we'll let that be. When we start to understand that little word, but, it will change how we live. Some of you are living in the first part of that sentence. And you go around living as a Christian like we've already lost. You go around with no hope. You go around with no peace. You go around with the sense that the world has won and the devil has been victorious. But Jesus says in our text today that he is the one who has overcome the world. And if we are willing to endure suffering with Jesus, Jesus says then, by partnership in his suffering, you and I will experience partnership in his victory. So this morning, I want to talk about what it means for us to partake in the victory of Christ, to be an overcomer. Now that phrase, over, to overcome, is one that is near and dear to us. We love this idea. We love the stories of overcomers. Our books are filled with them, and our movie theaters are filled with them. Some of my favorite books and movies are, are surrounding stories of people who have been overcomers. That is, that they've endured a lot of suffering, a lot of hardships, a lot of setbacks, but through hard work and perseverance and endurance and, and by the providence of God, they are able to uh, achieve what they never could have imagined, the greatest of outcomes that came through all manner of suffering. We see that in four different examples I'd like to share. In the story of Rudy Rudiger that is made famous through the story Rudy. A young man who wanted to play college football, was told by his coach no, was told by his parents no, was told by everybody no. He didn't have the grades, he didn't have the abilities, he didn't have the size. 
but he worked hard and he persevered and he endured. And with every hurdle that he jumped over, not only would he achieve his dreams, overcome his struggles, but he would be one of two people, two players to ever be carried off in Notre Dame history on the shoulders of his teammates. He was an overcomer. And it, by the way, is the only movie Pastor Tim has ever cried in. And I cried like a baby. Okay? Number two, sometimes overcoming it has to do with life and death. And the story of Apollo 13, memorialized by uh, the movie under that name, tells the story of three astronauts who wanted to be overcomers in a totally different way. They simply wanted to be the next group of guys who would walk on the moon. But because of half of their rocket ship blowing up and being disabled, they didn't have the right amount of oxygen, they didn't have the ability to get back home safely to their families, and through a course of events, we watched riveted by the story of how they figured out a way to get back home. We love the story of overcomers. Sometimes it's told in a soldier's life. The story of Louis Zamperidi, the story unbroken, tells the story of a man who is captured in World War II uh, by the Japanese and endures all kinds of suffering and all kinds of threats to his life and abuse. And he endures and he continues to be an incredible athlete in his own right later on in his life to serve and honor God as he comes to know Christ late in his life to change the world with his story. An overcomer is one who is unbroken in their quest to achieve what they're pursuing. Finally, sometimes overcoming is not just for you, but it's for a whole group of people. The story of Jackie Robinson is the story of one man who would overcome all manner of difficulties and racism to be able to stand and be one of the greatest baseball players. Of course, the first one to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. He overcame so a great many people might follow as overcomers in his footsteps. You see, we love the story of overcomers. But I want to remind you, Christian, this morning, the greatest story of the greatest overcomer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when we realize what he overcame and we partner with that, our whole living, our whole life and living will be different. Our demeanor will change. Uh, the sense of courage and hope that we have, even amidst the most difficult of times, will change as a result of what we know of Christ. So let's look at this word, what Jesus uses. I have overcome the world in verse 33. It is the Greek word nikeo. We get that word nikeo from the root word Nike. Some of you are wearing Nike shoes and you have no idea why they're called Nike. Nike is the Greek word for victory. And so Jesus is saying here, I have been victorious. Now, he's speaking a little bit prematurely, but he already knows victory is there. He says, because of what I'm going to do on the cross, what I'm going to do once I'm dead in rising from the grave will bring victory to not only myself, but to a great many people. This word, uh, nikeo, literally means to conquer or to prevail, but it's not simply conquering or prevailing over a weak opponent. This word nikeo literally means to be victorious, to conquer after a difficult or hard struggle. What Jesus is saying is, 
you are going to struggle just as I struggled through the circumstances and tribulations of life. But you, like me, because of my finished work on the cross, Jesus says, can be victorious. We, because of Christ, can be overcomers. We can have victory because Christ has already sustained that victory and grabbed that victory from the devil, from the world for us. But how do we do that? How do we live that out? And what do those attributes look like? Let's address four attributes this morning of what an overcomer is. Number one, an overcomer is one who doesn't understand everything, but doesn't allow that to be an excuse. If we want to see that we're overcomers, some of us will say, but I don't know all that Jesus wants for me in my life. We'll join a great company of people. Notice what Jesus says in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. How many of you have opened the Bible, read the Bible, and at the end of reading the Bible say, I have no idea what he's talking about, amen? You're in good company. You're with the disciples. Here are the disciples. They're graduates of Jesus' seminary, three and a half years of honors programs, walking and talking with Jesus, and they're at the end of Jesus' life, and Jesus says, okay, a little while you're not going to see me, and then a little while longer you'll see me again. And they're like, what in the world are you talking about? We are lost. Now we know the answer because hindsight's always 2020. That what Jesus is saying is, hey, in a little while I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be put to death, and I'm going to be buried. There is a little while you will not see me. But in a little while you will see me again. On Sunday night, in just a matter of, of three days, you will not see me, and then you will see me again. We know that. They didn't. They had not lived out this idea. They didn't know what the future was all about. They did not know what it meant that Jesus was going to go to the Father. Crystal clear for us, totally foggy for them. The truth that I want you to see is to be an overcomer doesn't mean you have it all figured out. The disciples are going to be overcomers. They're going to go through some times of difficulty, but in the end, they're going to serve and honor God and experience his victory throughout their lives. But at no point do they have it all figured out. Some of you are hesitant to step out in faith, and the answer you will give someone when asked is, why don't you do it? Well, I'm afraid I won't have the answers. I'm afraid I don't know how to do it. The disciples tell us, that we're just like them. What is Jesus talking about? Well, what do we do when we don't know what Jesus is talking about? Write these things down. I'll go through them as quickly as possible. But I think they're helpful because from time to time, because we are not God, we're gonna have questions about what Jesus wants from our lives. Questions about where he wants us to go, maybe what he wants us to do. There'll be a decision that we need to make and we will be foggy at best to what God would want or require of us. And in those moments, what are we to do? Number one, 
We are to find peace in all the words of Jesus. We are to find peace in all of the words of Jesus. Notice the disciples were given all of the information they needed. It wasn't like Jesus said, I'm speaking this way so you can't figure it out. He said, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Let's just take those words on their own merit. Jesus says, hey guys, for a little while you're gonna be on your own, but in short order, short time, I'll be back with you. He later says, for a little while you're gonna be sorrowful, but then in a little while your joy will be full and nobody will be able to take it away. The disciples, listen, are distressed and they desert Jesus. Listen very carefully because they only hear the bad news of their circumstances, not the words of Christ. Many of us are downtrodden and discouraged because we are listening to our circumstances, life without Jesus for the disciples, and not listening to what Jesus has already said. Jesus told them everything they needed to know. I'll be gone for a little bit, but in a little bit I'll be back and everything will be okay. They freak out because their emotions get in the way. Listen, God has given us emotions, but listen very carefully, emotions are a terrible guide to the will of God. Does that make sense? If you are gonna allow your emotions to dictate obeying God, you are going to find yourself out of step with God more often than not. Because the heart at times, the Bible says very clearly, the heart is deceitfully sick. Who can understand it? And our emotions are a part of that. Our emotions can deceive us from what is the true plan and purposes of God. And so we need to allow the word of God to bring us peace. Jesus says, you don't have to worry. I'll be gone for a little bit, but I'm coming back. Those same words, my friend, are the same words Jesus left all of us. I'm going, but I'm coming back. And so everything that happens in between those two statements are statements that should give us a great sense of peace and comfort amidst our circumstances. Yeah, Jesus is going, but he's coming back. And if he's coming back, he's got the answer for whatever I need to address or deal with. Number two, when you don't, under number, point number one here, when you don't understand something, when you don't understand something, don't give up. Instead, double down on what you do understand. So the disciples are like, we don't know what he's saying. We don't understand what is he doing? Where is he going? When is he gonna come back? And instead of sitting there paralyzed, Jesus has said a lot of other things. Some of us are like the disciples where we're paralyzed in the thing that we don't know what God wants us to do, that we're not doing what God has called us to do. So let's talk about some of the things that are crystal clear. John 13, Jesus says, our new commandment I give you, love one another. Crystal clear. There's no need for scholarship or commentary on that. Love one another. Number two in John 15, you are to be like branches to a vine, therefore bearing much fruit. So that means you are to live life in such a way that you look like, sound like, act like me, and produce the same kind of fruit, Jesus says, as I produce. Crystal clear, not hard to understand. And finally, in John 15, right before John 16, you are to bear witness. 
So they don't know when Jesus is going and when Jesus is coming back, but had they doubled down on what they did know, when Jesus left, they would have never deserted Jesus. They would have loved one another, which would have probably encouraged each other to stay faithful. Number two, they would have bare much fruit and they would have lived as Christ did. And number three, they would have bear witness instead of deserting and denouncing their relationship with Jesus, they would have told others about Jesus. So often, we are concerned about the things that we don't know that keep us from doing the things that we do know about Christ. Finally, when we don't know what Jesus is saying, the Bible tells us we are to ask for wisdom. We are to ask questions. In the book of James it says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. So you're here right now and you've got a question mark in your mind about a particular situation or scenario and the question you need to ask this morning is, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about. Will you give me wisdom? And God promises to give wisdom to those who are without the right answers. Listen, to be an overcomer doesn't mean you have all the right answers. To be an overcomer is one who recognizes where to go to get the right answers. Number two, to be an overcomer means that we're gonna suffer lots of short-term pain, but know in the end it's gonna pay off. Notice verses 20, and 20 through 22. The text goes like this, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. To be an overcomer does not mean the absence of troubles. Like each of the individuals in those movies that I spoke about, they endured a lot of hardships, a lot of fears, a lot of concerns, but they were able to rise above them. Jesus says in even a greater way, as Christians, we're gonna have problems. There's gonna be hurts and there's going to be pains, but there's going to be joy amidst it. A joy that the world doesn't understand. And he models it like this. He says, let's talk and and let's just be honest. A group of men talking about ladies' pregnancies. Kind of a questionable thing, right? But I think they nail it pretty well when they say, listen, women when they give birth have great anguish. There's great sorrow. There's great pain. They've nailed it, right? They understand, at least by the role of being a spectator, the great anguish that comes in labor pains. But they also, Jesus recognizes in his observation that that anguish is for a season. And that after that short season of anguish comes unspeakable joy. And what he is saying here is just like the mom who one moment is writhing in pain and rightly so, goes from that to smiles, forgetting the war she's just experienced. And she does so not just once, but she thinks about doing it again and again and again, right? 
fully knowing that pain is gonna be there, fully knowing that, that this is going to be a real painful process. Why? Because the immense joy that comes as she holds that child outweighs anything that she would have endured in those hours of labor. What Jesus is trying to say to us is overcomers live by this truth. I am willing to suffer, even if it means me great pain and anguish for a season so that I may grab hold of the eternity that Christ has for me. The Christian looks at his trials and considers his trials joy because trials are the steps by which we get to celebrate one day in eternity. You see, when we realize, when we fully realize, church, what God has prepared for his people, when we read the great joy that God has waiting for us on the other side of this world, when we realize the blessing that is awaiting us upon our death of the return of Jesus Christ, then we, like the Apostle Peter, looking at our great difficulties today, will call them light and momentary trials. Because we will see how great and how awesome the future is for those who believe. You see, far too many of us are thinking too much about this life and not the life to come. Yes, in this life we will have troubles, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world and where will we experience that in all its fullness? In glory when we see Jesus Christ face to face, amen? And so we need to start having a heavenly view. John MacArthur puts it this way when he says the following. We don't seek to escape this life by dreaming of heaven. But we do find we can endure this life because of the certainty of heaven. Heaven is eternal. Let's get that in our heads. Heaven is forever. Earth and suffering and pain, he says, is temporal. Those who fix their, all their affections on the fleeting things of this world are the real escapists because they are vainly attempting to avoid facing eternity by hiding in the fleeting shadows of the things that are only transient. You see, what we're saying isn't we're gonna escape to heaven. What we're saying is we endure earth so that one day we can enjoy heaven. This is why Samuel Rutherford put it this way when he said, the hope of heaven under troubles is like wind and, uh, is like wind and sails to the soul. It fills us. It enables us to continue to move forward. Brothers and sisters, are you not feeling like an overcomer? How much are you looking to the finish line? How much are you looking to what God has for us in heaven? Paul said this, forgetting what is behind, I stretch, I strain forward for the life that is to come, for the prize that is calling me heavenward. We need to look to heaven knowing that we will suffer for a short time, but in the end, it will all be worth it. Number three, what do we do in the meantime? 
What do we do in the meantime with all of the difficulties and all the struggles? Jesus says to the disciples, in a little while you'll be filled with anguish and sorrow. You're gonna be like that lady going through labor. But in the end, your life will be filled with joy. No one's gonna be able to take that joy. But what about in the in-between? The answer is that we are to partner with Christ in prayer. Notice in verse 23 and 24, so uh, you, um, let's see here, 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So let's do this with that verse. Let's start with the end and go backwards. Maybe that will help us to understand what he's saying. What he's saying is, Christian, disciple of mine, your joy will be full when you ask everything in my name. Let me say that. Let me put it this way. The level of your joy in this life will be directly in correlation or connection to the amount of prayer that you offer to the Lord. Does that make sense? You will not have the joy that God wants you to have until and only when you start lifting up your prayers of both uh, supplication and adoration and confession and thanksgiving to the Lord. And so it begs the question this morning, are you lacking joy? Are you lacking joy as the victor? Jesus says, we've won, we're the champions, and we should be excited. And I look at Christians all the time, and they're downtrodden, and they're broken, and they're sorrowful. And I ask the question, how can winners be so sad? How can we be such, uh, why do we look so much like losers when Jesus has won the war? When there's nothing left to have victory over, Jesus has done it, and I will go to, we have a people, sadly, who do not pray, who do not lift up all of their requests to the Lord. R.A. Torrey, when speaking about the subject of prayer, said, why is it that Christians don't pray with so much clear evidence that it is the most important thing we can do? He says this, prayer is the greatest thing we can do because the devil is resisted when we pray. Because through prayer, we get everything we need from God. Through prayer, we, like the apostles, set a pattern that was set by Jesus Christ himself. Through prayer, we learn that the most important present ministry of Jesus Christ is the ministry of prayer when he intercedes to the Father on our behalf. Prayer is the only way that we can have freedom from anxiety and worry in this world because prayer is the only thing that promises peace that is beyond all understanding. Prayer is the only mechanism by which God uses to promote our spiritual growth, to lead others to Christ, to bring all of his blessings to Christ and his church. R.A. Torrey says, after these seven reasons for prayer, why is it that the people of God do not pray? And I would go one step farther with R.A. Torrey and say, we will never experience the joy that God wants us to have as overcomers until we become a people of prayer. Now, you will right away say, but I do pray. 
And you'll say, hey, at our church we do pray. And we have dozens upon dozens of small groups who dedicate a big portion of their small group time in prayer. But can I tell you, our prayers are not overcoming prayers. We don't pray prayers that pray uh, this. We say this, Lord, take away this pain so I can move on with my comfort. Instead of saying, Lord, could it be you've brought this pain so that I might shine brightly to show a needing and watching world what they need to know about you? Could it be that we need to pray more about our character as overcomers, not our comfort as overcomers? If we would start to pray that way, we would start to pray in a way that would help us to fight sin. Here's the truth. Notice what Jesus says in the text. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. What day? What day is Jesus talking about? In the day that I'm not with you. Jesus is prophesying and giving us a bird's eye view of the prayerlessness of the disciples when Jesus is arrested and crucified. In that day, not a single one of you is gonna pray. You wonder why you deserted me? You wonder why you didn't have the strength to carry on? Because you lacked the ability to quiet your hearts, to be still and know that I am God and lift your requests and your concerns to me. How many of us this morning are trying to live this life, white knuckling it through this life, never is it dawning on us to take our concerns and our issues to the one who's already made victory. My brothers and sisters, you want to find joy in the Christian life, it begins and ends with prayer to Jesus Christ, the victor. Finally, a victor or overcomer is filled with joy because of Jesus. Overcomers have one final attribute, and that's joy. Verse 22, it says that we are told no one will be able to take away this joy. In verse 24, that our joy will be full. That is, we will have an inexpressible joy amidst all circumstances and all situations because of Jesus. Listen, in every circumstance of life, you should, as a Christ follower, have joy. And the reason for it isn't because we're gluttons for punishment. The reason is because of Jesus. That means no one can rob us, nothing can steal us from the blessing and joy that comes from a relationship in Christ. Christian joy is found in knowing and receiving all that Christ has done for us and in turn living each moment with a desire to serve him. So let me ask you this morning, are you really an overcomer? The answer of being an overcomer is based on the amount of joy that you have. Here's what I mean. Have you ever watched a sports team celebrate a championship? They don't do it in a sullen fashion. They don't do it in, in, in quiet overtures. They, they act like little kids. They celebrate as if they've never celebrated before. That should be part and parcel to the Christian. When we enter this place, there should be joy in the house of the Lord. There should be joy, not because we were beat up, not because we were knocked down, but because we have been promised, even amidst those sufferings, that the crucified one, the risen one, has set us free, and once we are free, we are free indeed, and we are victors because of Christ and his coming kingdom to this world. Yeah, amen. 
So the question this morning is, you want to be an overcomer. Notice verse 27, and I'll close. In verse 27, we are told this. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Listen, my friends, the only way we will become overcomers is by belief and trust that Jesus has come from God, that he has set us free from sin, and he has promised us, friends, he has promised us something so great and so glorious awaiting us in the kingdom to come that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for his people. And so we with joy do what David Jeremiah says when he says this, He says the following. Where we go? There we go. Christian joy is letting Christ live his life out through you so that what he is, you become. That is our assignment this week. That we would experience his joy by letting Christ become so much a part of our life that we become like him in his suffering, yes. But even more than that, that we might become like him in his victory and that we with inexpressible joy would live each and every day whether at work or in school whether before believers or unbelievers alike with an inexpressible joy that Jesus has conquered everything that concerns us and all we need to do is bask in his victory amen